Welcome to a very special edition of Space Action Podcast, a division of Space Action Heroes, a webcomic you can find at spaceactionheroes.com. This week, we take a silver anniversary retrospective look back on this seminal Stanley Kubrick classic, 2001, A Space Odyssey. I am one of your hosts, Denisa Winshama. I'm Chris Carson. I honestly just did that part so you'd stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you loved it. It worked. It worked. Hello, guys. We were talking about 2001. Remember, the, what was your first experience watching this movie? Um, I don't remember. Really? I saw it. I saw it so young that it's like it's like Star Wars or something where I can't pinpoint. Okay. My first viewing of it. I have a very vivid memory. Yeah. Okay. Um, my sister was taking a theology or philosophy class. I believe she must have been. Let me do the math. If I was like eight or ten. She would have been like 16. Uh, no, she was ready in university. Okay. Hey, it's not relevant. We watched it. I was a big film nerd kid. Like, I watched a lot of movies I really shouldn't have at an early age. I'd very, it yeah, just yeah. made me love cinema. Like, I, I early And on. turned you into the serial killer you are today. I, what did I say? Sorry. God. Please don't kill me. Damn it. Please don't. The pile is getting high, my friend. <laughs> I know. I can the smell it coming up through the floorboards. Davey can only eat so much in one day. <laughs> um... I remember, like, at an early age, there was a certain like, things I identified with. So my sister was like, he likes film, he likes Star Wars, he'll love this. All right. Um, Even though it's kind of the polar opposite of Star so Wars. So we watch it, and I'm visually in love. Right. Soundtrack, in love, but stylistically bored as fuck, and I have no idea what's going on. I think we had to pause it, like, the intermission, we took a pizza break and everything. Because I just... Just going, I, what's happening? No idea what's going on. Why is there a baby in space? Right. Why is that the end of the movie? Unfortunately answered in these... Uh, the sequels, sequel books. Which and, I haven't read. Ugh, the movie and sequel books are atrocious what they do. We'll all get into that. We uh, go outside, and I remember this so vividly. We used to have this big old birch tree underneath uh, in front of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So we sat underneath that thing on the porch... And she just deconstructed the whole thing for oh, me. Nice. Like you see, like, the, the monolith represents advancements in technology mm-hmm. and intellect. From um, some sort of third party. From a weird third party. They're the ones observing Dave Bowen at the end of the movie. Yep. They're the ones that have challenged. And, like, once they see that he can defeat technology, you see it's all about innovation. And, like... an evolution. They were, they were... It was like the apes fighting each other, except it was a computer versus a human. Exactly. Human exactly. Like, they, once the they had that... The ruins that. That okay. technological advancements, what put them over the edge, blah, blah, blah. And then, but then like, they had to fight the advancement to stay on top. I love it. It's so good. And at the very end of the movie, it ends with him conquering technology and becoming the he star child. He a god. And I was like, he, what? It, that's in? The, can we watch it again? Yeah. Like, where was that Basically in there? Basically, like, his transition to the fourth or fifth dimension yeah. beyond our that's right. like, recognition of um, reality. There's a great scene. You ever watch Mission Hill? No. There was a TV show. I think it was by the creators of The Simpsons back in the 90s about a bunch of 20, 30-somethings living in an apartment together in okay. Metro City. Um, very prophetic. It's exactly what everyone's living situation is like now. But it kills me because there's one episode where uh, Kevin, the younger brother, falls in love with cinema because of the old man who lives next door played by uh, Billy West. Okay. Starts oh, nice. introducing him to classic movies and stuff. So at one point he pops in um, 
2001, and his two best friends were like total fanboys, like a big fat guy and like an Asian kid who loves like you know anime. You just stuff. described us, pretty. <laughs> they start playing it, and they're like, "How come this is like this isn't as good as Armageddon? What's going on? <laughs> Whose baby is that? What? Why is there a baby?" And like, I can totally understand that uh, perspective, but when you, I don't know. It's purely intellectual cinema. It's insanely if you patient. Yeah. It's so measured out. If you're someone who in any way doesn't think about their place in the universe, you know, like if you're if you're even a, a step below that kind of like cognitive wandering, mm. then you will hate 2001. Yeah. Like you will just absolutely hate it. It's a sci-fi movie that spends no time on a planet. No. Like you're And it's all about the human condition. Yeah. It's and it's all about what happens in the silence. Like most of the action yeah. scenes are super brief. Like the only ones I can think of are like the opening Dave. or when Dave blows into the airlock yeah. and that it's it's so slow. Stark silence. Stark silence. Like you know what I mean? And yeah. um, you know, preceding Star Wars in terms of using that road, uh, that uh, motion control technique. Those guys made Star Wars, didn't they? It's yeah, they went insane. on to form ILM. Yeah, didn't they? it's yeah. insanely well executed. Like, oh, I, it holds up to this day. It really does, and like that's what I find so fascinating about that movie is just the, for lack of a better term, the balls it takes. Like, look at this. Like, because mm-hmm. it was only his. It was because all ninth the, movie. Because his m- most of his movies before this were his studio outings, like Fear and Desire, Killer's Kiss, The Killing, Pads of Glory, Spartacus, which the whole fucking ordeal with Spartacus, where they took it away from him and refilmed a right, bunch of it, right? And then Lolita, which is evidence that he may have been a bit of a pedo. I guess he had Doctor Strange Love. Strange Love, I bet you, was like I'm not sure. Like I don't know how that movie was received at the time. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I right in the Doctor middle Strange of the it's fucking great. And again, it's the amazing. balls it takes to make like a Cold War or fucking one of my favorite scenes. I was just watching the other days when Peter Sells is on the phone as the press. Well, Alexi, I don't understand why you're getting yeah. so mad. I'm like, that's politics now. That is like yeah. politics has become like this domestic dispute where yeah. it's like it feels like you're just like, what is wrong with my family? Like, <laughs> why, it's, it's, why is this happening? Yeah, it's way too personal now, and we become cartoon characters. Like that movie's so insane ahead of its time it's so, and, and then just thinking of like the everyday boringness of 2001 like how he's on the video screen talking to his daughter that's and right how, and even I think the prices that were so super inflated in the 60s now are like oh that's pretty cheap for a call <laughs> like they just nail like I don't it's I guess just being able to read the tea leaves is essentially just being aware enough to see where the current's going right so there's nothing prophetic about it it's just Kubrick understood humanity and now it's knew, based on a book right yeah, the novel I've never Arthur read the novel C. Clark. okay Mm. I've never read the book. Arthur C. Clarke fucks up Hal more than anything. Mm. Because 2010, the year we make Contact, which was then adapted into the sequel with Rory Schneider, with um, Brody there as the... uh, Oh, really? Chief Brody? Chief Brody is the the main character in 2010. But they retcon it to say that Hal was programmed to lie, and it caused a... Because it was like an alien thing, where like the company programmed him to lie to the crew about the discovery they were going to find and that caused him to malfunction and that's why he attacked the people so they took <laughs> yeah so they took away all the subtlety of the fact that it was just two competing awarenesses yeah. in evolution flushed it down the toilet which was Kubrick's intent and they just flushed it down the toilet to make be able to make more movies okay and it, I think I think 2010 is god awful and I hate that they it's sort of like the, the Star Wars prequels in that this is never going away now. It's always going to be in my brain that Anakin was a whiny little Canadian boy. And it's 2010 feels like that. Where you're like, it's never going to go away now that Hal was just malfunctioning. 
Ugh, that's annoying. Because the first one does not beg a sequel at all. Mm-hmm. It's like a movie and a half within itself. Yep. And it's like such an open and closed loop. Like we begin literally with the beginning of man. We end with man becoming a god. Yep. Why? And, like, and then, like, what yeah. else do you have to say? Because well, there's 2010, the year we make contact. Then there's another one, I believe. And then there's 3001, which is where. What's the name of the guy that dies in 2001? Not Dave, but his partner. Oh, I can't remember. Um, let's call him Jimmy Jimston. He he was floating out in space, and they find him a thousand years in the future, Futurama style, and they unfreeze him. And then he's in a world where literally, I just remember there's a scene in, in 3001 in the book where a velociraptor comes and serves him a drink. And it's like, the popularity of movies from the late 20th century led to the way we like view our culture a thousand years from now. So we've bred velociraptors and dinosaurs to be our servants. Oy. And he's like, I love Jurassic Park. And I'm like, oh, fuck you. And it was written by Arthur C. Clarke and everything. Because it was like 30 years later, right? Right, 1997. Yeah. I don't remember this coming out at all. It was, I, I, tr- I read it, and I that's honestly, r- like that one scene is pretty much all my memory retained of it. That's it was rough so they lame. picked Jurassic Park, too, because the fact that like it was 97, they were like, Lost World's coming. Now, hop right. on the coattails of that fucking Hop franchise. on that, Arthur. <laughs> Ew. But I, everything surrounding Stanley Kubrick's 2001, because I don't, I, Arthur C. Clarke is beloved. I don't entirely get, I'm not a huge fan of his work. I don't, I, I've, I've bought his uh, compendiums and his, like, collected works, and I've never really gotten into his stuff. Mm. Um, By the way, that dude's name is Frank. Frank, yeah, Frank, Frank, Frank Poole. Frank yeah? Poole. Yeah. Um, but everything surrounding that universe sucks, <laughs> except for Stanley Kubrick's interpretation of the first book. Which I kind of find was the the best thing about Kubrick. Like people are really divisive about that Shining movie, especially oh, fucking uh, Stephen he King. He hates it. And I'm like, it's but so much better than the book. I've I know, read the book. Like I remember, I watched part of that. See, that's the thing. I haven't read the book, but I did watch part of that adaptation that stayed true to the book, the miniseries with the <laughs> two from Wings. And fucking yipes, man! Yeah. Like Kubrick knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Well, uh, actually. To transition into um, into that momentarily into The Shining, uh, to pertain back to our Steven Spielberg discussion about how he's just the king of subliminal mm. filmmaking. Stanley Kubrick was obsessed with subliminal marketing, and um, The Shining is a love letter to subliminal filmmaking. Everything from like the audio. Tra- if you watch that uh, Room Two Thirty Seven, that mm. documentary about all the subliminal work in two thousand. I'm sorry, in The Shining. 50% of it is garbage. 50% of it is, like, fanboys looking too far into shit that wasn't there. Sure, sure. But then it's sort of like... It's like talking about 9-11. Half of the documentary is aliens and holograms, and the other half is, like, the government's inability to respond to a threat. Done by the same guys who did Zeitgeist. Kind of. It feels like that, where you're like, half of this is great, and half then, of it is fucking horrible. And then half of it sounds like the guy, the dude at the bar who's just like, ah, fuck, right. don't get him going. Right. And so that that's a great, Room 237 it's called, and it's if you can mine out the quality of it, it just talks about all the subliminal filmmaking, like, just little things, like, um, like the fact that it's supposed to be on an old Indian burial ground, and so there's all these oh, native yes. images in the background, but then it's also a commentary on uh, a white man's destruction of nature, which is bringing these demons out. And even in the, um, the soundtrack, every once in a while, it makes there's a little vocalization in the white noise mm. that just unnerves you and you don't know why because you're not detecting it consciously but if you slow it down listen to it it's like wah-dah, wah-dah. and every once in a while on the soundtrack a little voice comes in oh, that's fucking so it was just it was just Kubrick because remember he took like three years or something in post-production of just him crafting right. this subliminal movie mm-hmm. and that's why everyone's like even if you hate it you can't deny it, it leaves you with this 
gross, creepy feeling. Both that movie and 2001 have a like the the iso- themes of isolation are so palatable. Oh, like fuck. whenever Dave's just doing laps in that awesome rotating gym set, mm-hmm. or whenever fucking Jack Torrance is just tossing a tennis ball around, you realize like these are just descents into goddamn near madness. Like whenever poor Dave Bowen's out there competing with like open the pod bay doors, that scene is nothing's happening. Yeah, it's a conversation between an eyeball, a red eyeball, and a dude, and it's one of the most gripping scenes. Yeah. Where you're like a man's life is on the line. And holy shit, like, there's no one out here for hundreds no. of thousands of miles. He's like, just alone completely. That was the thing, uh, you mentioned Jack Torrance typing on the typewriter. That's the thing, I don't remember the specifics specifics of it, so if you're listening to this, just look up that Room 127 Jack Torrance typewriter. But essentially, the typewriter changes. The brand changes halfway through the film. When he starts going mad, it's a different brand. And uh, uh, again, I'm really annoyed now that I'm blanking on this, but it was the the makers of the typewriter were like... The, the first typewriter that shows up, the, it's from a brand that was like a German brand that like profited off of World War Two. And then once he goes mad, it's a diff- it's like American brand, so it's about the like insanity of war to the Western world. It's like it's chock full of these insane yes. little subliminal messages. I butchered that, but if you take two seconds and Google, I heard I gotta give that documentary a watch. I heard it's phenomenal. Just like, just, just know that fifty percent of it is bullshit. <laughs> And the, but the stuff you can mine out of it is absolutely amazing. Poor Shelley Duvall doesn't think it's bullshit. Uh, yeah, even they're, though they're going, ahead, they're going ahead with that sequel about adult Danny Torrance. What's it called now? Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. I read that book too. It's horrible. Yeah. It's Stephen King has kind of sucked since the accident. So, so Danny Torrance is an adult. He's still talking to the guy who lives in his mouth. Because well, remember how. Um, Stephen King created a whole universe, like a Marvel Cinematic Universe for his books, so like the kids from It are Shiners. That's how they were able to fight the clown. Like he's retconned all his work into one universe. Isn't that what they're doing with Castle Rock, that TV series? Yeah. Essentially like all his Putting everything in it. And right. they, it sort of stemmed from the Dark Tower series, which is all the multiverses and everything. Okay. So it's it connects everything. And Doctor Sleep is about like um actually I'm gonna be honest, I stopped reading it halfway through. <laughs> I couldn't. I was so fucking bored. You listen carefully. You'll hear every Stephen King fan like, the best <laughs> But the first half, what I read was basically Danny Torrance is a drunk, um, trying to make his way through through life by going from towns and getting odd jobs and stuff. And fuck, I'm sweating like a pig. <laughs> it's so hot. Um, he going and uh, and just he keeps pushing down his shine. And then there's a group of people who are like. Wiccan witchcraft sort of like covenant covenant people mm. who are using the shine and they're trying to like draw presences out and then their paths start to converge and then I was like I'm so bored with this I can't even finish it and that was the end of it for me <laughs> for Doc it's still sitting on my side table under a pile of books with a bookmark right in the center Doctor Sleep coming 2019 yeah. <laughs> a movie that Carson fell asleep to I found yeah Doctor Sleep is not the least appropriate I, so in other words I was about to say yeah. <laughs> it's oh, you know what it is I'm sitting I'm hot I'm drinking hot coffee and I'm like liquid <laughs> I'm so warm it's fine uh, it's, I'm not I, I don't think it's any cooler on this side. no no I'm just gonna arbitrarily cares. complain to make myself feel better <laughs> but I don't expect anything to come out of it god ah. anyways um so what would you categorize as your favorite, or like favorite's a word for children, I think, but what would you put at the top of the pile for Kubrick films? I'm defaulted to say Clockwork Orange because it's my 
favorite. It's one of my favorite books of all time. It is an amazing book. And my only complaint about Clockwork Orange is leaving out the seminal last chapter. The one that, wait, was it in the first print or not in the first print? Oh, good question. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, like the print that came out after the film, if I remember correctly? Yeah, because yeah. the first run of that novel did or didn't... No, I think it didn't... The first run didn't have the ending because his editor cut it. And gotcha. And then the second run had the Because Kubrick learned there was a new ending while making it, and so he like rushed out and saw the chapter. Gotcha. But the original ending was him back to and everything. Uh, and, well, as that's... Business that, as usual. Well, yeah, that's... Uh, Alec... Pretty much, like, the end of the movie and the book are very similar, where, like, Alex kind of, you know, resumes his ideology. I was all right. Yeah, he's back to normal. So, anyways, in the book, if I remember correctly, it's... Come on, there's Pete, Georgie, and Dim. Yeah, because the... the, He runs into Pete. Because the hidden chapter is he's either reformed or not. I don't remember. No, he's right back in the the milk bar. Was that the original? uh, No, the original ending just ends with him, I believe, in the... In the the hospital. Yeah, the additional chapter picks up a couple months later... He's back in the same bar, hanging out with a new set of dudes. Right, yes. And yeah, they're yeah. all like, what are we going to do tonight? And Alex is like, I just, I got to get the fuck out of here. I'm paraphrasing. And he leaves. He probably he said it in a weirder way. He runs into, <laughs> yeah, some goddamn Russian slang. He runs into Pete. Pete's got a girlfriend. His girlfriend's pregnant. They're engaged. They're about okay. to get married. And Alex, you know, has a really pleasant conversation with me. Like, they're like, oh, it was good scene. It's kind of embarrassing because he's literally wearing almost the exact doing same the outfit. Same shit doing the same the shit. And every person can empathize with that moment yeah. of just, like, the self-realization of, like, oh, that's where I am in my life. Oh, that's what my contemporaries were doing. That's I didn't grow I, up. I, exactly. I should act accordingly. And I found that a beautiful ending because it, essentially it says, to, you know, in Burgess's book that you can't teach behavior out of someone. It has to be learned right. empirically and applied. You can't just like give a quick fix, yeah. yeah, quick fix, which is what the Ludovico treatment is, yep. and it almost kills the fucking guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that ending of like that's the closure instead of this ambiguous ending of like some people are just shitty. Yeah, sometimes some people just like to write people to Beethoven to singing in the rain. What are you gonna do? Hey, wait you know? a minute! You can't quick fix people to change their perspectives on the world. Tell that to the internet. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a lesson that people under twenty need to learn. It's it's such a profound ending, and I find like yeah, the Kubrick movie just kind of like Kubrick does kind of glorifies the malevolence. I find a lot of his movies on the undertones is that there is there is definitely kind of like the uh, uh it's a, as much as like Tarantino or Scorsese uses it, the grotesqueries in Kubrick movies are very punctuate and yep. memorable as shit. Oh god, I remember how horrified I was when the first time I saw it because uh, Alex and his three droogs save a girl from being raped by a gang and the next scene is they go and rape a girl yeah I was like what the f- oh right just everyone's horrible that's the whole point right? you, you take a step back realistically they only saved that girl to get in a vicious fucking fight, fight. I think that's the only reason they did With it them, they weren't yeah. being altruistic no not at all um, Full Metal Jacket I do love that one the first like like everybody, I love the first like. Once they hour. get to Nam, it's not quite. But I do love that scene where they're in the bunker and they're divvying up the news stories. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Or is that Apocalypse Now? Am I crossing the streams? Oh, I think you are uh, crossing the streams. Okay. Apocalypse Now. Okay, yeah. So Full Metal Jacket. Because he wasn't a journalist in Full Metal Jacket. No, no. Because I think yeah, I'm thinking of the scene. It's like if I remember right, Harrison Ford has a cameo in that scene in Apocalypse. Apocalypse Now, now yeah, yeah. And yep. uh, they're just like, well, tell them that it was a general that got killed. It will generate more patriotism for yep. the country. I'm like, they do. They must be. Do-. I remember watching. 
watching that like in first year university like they do this all the time don't they like currently the oh, yeah, one yeah. time they fucking change the story to generate sympathy. like how uh, Ant-Man's underperformed budget all the websites are like Ant-Man is doing great and you're like wait oh right because Disney owns all you motherfuckers mm-hmm. this is just movie news isn't real news it's, you know, like real news they're bought and paid you know? for yeah. real news isn't really real news anymore but but uh but like yeah in Full Metal Jacket like that again the, the sense of isolation like you feel for Pyle in that fucking you empathize him so bad and it goes so badly so quickly yeah. topped off with one of the best performances with Arlie Army. that movie even though like a majority of it's kind of forgettable like once they get to Nam again well that's uh, the thing I think Kubrick just didn't understand Nam like yeah. his training everything in the as you said everything leading up to Nam is pure Kubrick gold once he gets there it feels like almost feels like he didn't really know what to do because he didn't go to Nam he didn't fight in Nam he didn't really have a sense of it and also it was 87 so imagine you're coming off the heels of like Apocalypse Now right people were actually there and you're just like I don't know what I'm fucking (laughs) Kubrick I just to interject momentarily Kubrick always said something I'll never forget about Schindler's List which I agree 100% with him was that he didn't think Spielberg and Kubrick were really good friends but he didn't think Spielberg should have made Schindler's List because Spielberg made the theme of Schindler's List if you say what's this movie about the answer is hope Mm. right and Kubrick always said the Holocaust is not about hope the theme of Holocaust is about human failure. Uh-huh. How we failed as a people to stop it from happening. How yeah. the people who did it failed as humans to, 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 to commit those atrocities. Yep. You should never end a movie about the Holocaust on a note that makes you feel good. Mm. And I'm like, I do, as much as I love Schindler's List, I do agree that Spielberg did bring a little too much whimsy, as, as weird as that is to say, to the Holocaust. That is a strange take, but yeah, I guess it's fair because he is Spielberg. Like, even in the most serious right. of moments, like, he has a little bit of, like, has to bring a little charm yeah. in the ending of, of Oscar Schindler being like I could have saved more I could have saved more and Kubrick always like stood by the fact that you should never have a moment as an audience of hope in a movie about the Holocaust uh, it should beat you over the fucking head uh, yeah. with the all reality the, all of the it. ones that you stick with you are pretty much right because like, you're right it's like there shouldn't be a moment of just like there was something good that came out of this right. like hope it's like you don't need a holocaust to have hope to have hope <laughs> and I get like I understand the perspective of it was so horrible we can't like push an audience through three hours of feeling miserable but then that's why I love Stanley Kubrick because he'd be like I'm about to push an audience through three hours of feeling miserable I will miserable. literally drive Shelley Duvall insane to get yeah, this thing on to get to get the best possible performance yeah. I will drive actors insane I'm like I have to respect that yeah. It's sick, but, like, goddamn, those movies are memorable as fuck. Right. You know? He's a genius master of his craft. You don't get that way by playing nice. Mm-hmm. You get that way by being a fucking monster. That's why I love stories you hear about, you know, Edgar Wright, for example. I guess Edgar Wright's a bad example. Who'd be a better example? He is pretty pissy. But someone who just does take after take because he likes that frustration. Because, like, there's certain He brings out reality. Yeah, all yeah. of a sudden you realize, like, a lot of these movies are... T- are Protagonists under some sort of duress. Yeah. So if they just came out of their trailer, they're relaxed as fuck, and they're third able, take, and they're good. Yeah, they got a line of blow up their nose. They start to get that kick after yeah, the yeah. seventh take. They're like, mother fuck this guy. No, multiple. Even though I love them when directors misuse it, like the Lego guys were reportedly doing that for the Solo movie before they were fired. They were doing like 50, 60 takes. It's like this doesn't really work when you're making a Star Wars movie. Yeah. There's no need for that. There's no need for that, but it works when you're making like a psychological drama or. Can I make this a really obvious segue for to a set of podcast blue balls I've been holding since uh, Solo? Yeah, yeah. Um, my alternate Star Wars story that they'll never make. Right, you never got to that. <laughs> 
been, I keep forgetting to bring it up. If but you haven't listened to the solo podcast, the whole introduction was, and you're going to get into your Star Wars story, and we never, never did. did. But so let's do a little segue. A little segue. So you've seen um, Letters from Iwo Jima, the Clint Eastwood movie? I have not. Okay. I've, I'm not a big Clinton fan. That's fine. Um, it's just the premise. I'm just lifting the premise. The way Rogue One was essentially Inglorious Bastards wearing yeah. a Star Wars skin, I'm just going to lift this and apply Star Wars skin. Okay. So the ending, uh, the whole plot of that movie is a bunch of Japanese soldiers that were fighting for the Axis are on like the last island. The Hiroshima's been bombed. The Allies are closing, and they know this is They're their last stand. Because Clint seems to respect Asian people, but hates black people. It's very weird. And that's a whole other it's, podcast. It's really hard for me as like a Sergio Leone fan to think of that because I love that trilogy. But every time I watch it, I'm like, dude, what's like your he, deal? Yeah, it's like he, <laughs> respect for the Asians, but he still hates the black people. Yeah, and like, the, the, fuck? the irony is, is that the dude talks about all the time, the reason he can encapsulate the outsider experience is because the entire time he filmed those spaghetti westerns, oh, yeah. he was the fucking outsider. He was the only one who didn't speak Italian, yeah. but anyway, I digress. Sorry, sorry. That's a whole other shit on Clint Eastwood podcast. We'll wait till he <laughs> dies for the R.I.P. <laughs> podcast, and then we'll be like, yeah, this guy was a bit of a fucking asshole. But <laughs> goddamn, for a few dollars more, it's one of the greatest pieces of cinema yeah. I ever made. Yeah. Um, so uh, the allies are closing in, and you know the Japanese honor. They're not going to surrender. They're going to die fighting. Mm-hmm. So they're all writing letters to their loved ones and just piling them up. So okay. when the allies find them, they can take them with them. I want to see that movie, but from the perspective of stormtroopers. Okay. I, I don't want them to have like their mass off. You have like a scout trooper, a stormtrooper, and fuck it, like a, a snow trooper. Okay. And it's the three not of them clones. The... You have to establish they're not clones. No, they've all got families and stuff like that. Like they're like Finn. They're recruits that have been abducted and whatnot. Right. So they're in there in a bunker or whatever, and the rebels are closing in, and they know they're not going to fucking make them. So, like they're going to fucking die. Like right, they're, right. they're rebels. They're taking no prisoners. The Death Star. The second Death Star is destroyed, and Palpatine's dead. Yeah. So I want to see a movie because one of the things that's been bugging me. The low-hanging fruit that they're not... I don't. I thought they were going to do it whenever Force Awakens came out, but Last Jedi kind of proves they're not, was I always thought the big roundabout way to bookend this uh, franchise would have been who was the underling that we is always present but we never really acknowledge in that franchise is the Stormtroopers. Mm. And the first movie... The very first one, Phantom Menace, we have like this mechanized army, and the Republic realizes, like, Jesus Christ, we need a fucking army. We can't remain undefended for long yep. because this guy's playing both sides against each other. So if he wants totalitarian power, he has to build an army. Mm-hmm. He makes a bunch of mindless clones. Like, it's not slavery per se, but it's definitely not giving them free will. Right, yeah. It's kind of fucked up. And the next one, it gets even worse because now they're just recruits. They're a totalitarian empire that controls the galaxy. They're scooping up planets wherever full of they people can, yeah. wherever they can. And because clones we take a while to make. Exactly. Exactly, it's just easier to get these guys into action, and because we can't have, we have a lack of imagination. We continue into the sequel trilogy with the stormtroopers being abducted. You're right. I would love for there to be a scene in Episode Nine where it's either Finn, likely Finn would be the most the character that makes the most sense, or Ray, just being like, "Why are you laying down your lives for this fascist theocracy mm-hmm. of these evil red lightsaber wielding idiots? Without you, this empire has nothing." Like this whole war for nine you have to movies. Break that brainwashing. Yeah, yeah, this whole war for nine movies has been you guys being used as fucking foot soldiers for a thing you don't even believe in. That'd be an important contemporary message in this day and age, exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah. So you start that in this Star Wars story where you have these stormtroopers and they become sympathetic, where they're just like the rebels are closing in. Oh my god, were we used as pawns for this fucking like 
you know, imperial monster and like used to wipe out plant after plant. So not only do you empathize with these characters you never heard of, you get a little bit of social commentary in there as well. And also you just like you have a self contained Star Wars. You don't need to leave a room. Yeah. It's like that Hitler. It could be like a twenty million dollar production. Exactly. And you don't need any any references to anyone else. That's like I, would, I like that. That's good. I'm and it's you. you know what's great about it is that it would cost fifteen million dollars to make. You could just get that out there. Why not? I yeah. would love if Star Wars just started making tons of low-budget little vignettes like that. It would be amazing. I dug that, like, Clo- like Ken Cloverfield Lane movie. Like, yeah. just keeping it that self-contained. We only need one set, three actors, yeah. and you know what? Not a lot of money. Yeah. That would be good. And that you could really, uh, if you wanted to shake up the action, you could have flashbacks to their lives before they were recruited as troopers. Yeah. You could have one of them be a clone. You know what I'm saying? That'd be cool. Like, dude, Just get old to clone. get to Mira Morrison back. Like, yeah. and the, that's what the one thing I kind of dug about Rebels was the one character who was called Captain Rex, Rex, and he was just an old clone with like a white beard. Then they put him in Jedi, and now he's been retconned into Jedi as the guy who poses as the scout trooper right, outside right. the Endor bunker. I'm like, that's perfect because Rex was a stormtrooper. Yeah, that would sense. make sense. So yeah, man, I would love to see that fucking movie. But yeah, you're right. Like, have one for each generation, like an old clone, a, an original trilogy stormtrooper, yeah. and like a young recruit who I don't. Know, maybe survives and ends up joining the first order or Something, whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Or becomes or, and a may, rebel. And maybe have one who joined, like, just a regular dude who joined with the ideology of, well, we need to get rid of these fucking junkies and criminals. Exactly. These rebels. Do we need guys, order. Yeah, in the don't galaxy. you remember the fucking Jedi tried to murder the senator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, the, the chancellor back in the day? But they'll never make it. You, should, you should write the fan scripts. <sighs> do it. Just do it. Be fucking get, get yourself some fine, boot up final draft. Even like a short comic would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Just like totally indie montage. comic. Like, oh, dude, keep your eyes open. <laughs> but yeah, you'd have to call them like Droom Troopers and the fighting the. Uh, no, I'm curious. How does that work? I've seen some like flash cartoons in comics based on Star Wars and Batman. It's How does it's that work? it's a th- it's a thin needle to thread. Like I'm not taking on the mouse anytime soon. Yeah. I'm gonna fucking bankrupt me for yeah. life. Especially like, and they're way more forgiving of things like that when their franchises are doing well. When their franchises are not doing well, they get really pissy about that. All I heard in my head was Kathleen is not as forgiving as I am. But anyways, you don't get this Star Wars without 2001. No, that's true. Especially when it comes to the effects. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm pretty, like, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure a lot of the people who worked on the effects are who Lucas put together for ILM. I definitely, I know the rigging technique they use of, like, keeping the model stationary on a blue screen and rotating it. That was invented uh, for 2001. The whole docking sequence with the ring... Uh, pre- like predicates the Star Destroyer at the after the scroll. And right, right. They just like were like, well, it worked in that movie. It looked phenomenal. Let's just use that. And that's why um, Lucas. Remember, he was using so much classical music in the original cut mm. because of the music in two thousand one. He wanted it to be pure classical, and Spielberg was the one who convinced him to use John Williams because he was like, I just use this guy on Jaws. So that was Star Wars was almost a little even more two thousand and one. It's yeah because it also came at a time where I don't think a lot like their idea of using like a huge orchestra for your soundtrack wasn't really that had died thirty years yeah earlier. so there was this huge resurgence in this movie really like the soundtrack Basically is, died with uh, Bernard Herrmann oh god damn I love me some Bernard Herrmann kind of like he was the last uh, holding <sighs> on to the big symphony scores and then when he went it was. They kind of disappeared. Oh, man, I, I could crank the fucking... I literally could crank and headbang to the opening credits from Psycho. It's Taxi like, Driver was his last film, yeah? Uh, I think. Didn't... Did he do Cape Fear? Oh, you're right. He did do Cape yeah, Fear. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. And that one's, like, haunting as shit. It's one of my favorites. So what came after 2001? What was his next film? Clockwork? Or that was one before? No, yeah, it was Doctor Strangelove. The next one after the yeah, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lydon, 
Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon's great. <laughs> Clearly, someone's never seen it. <laughs> Barry Lyndon's awesome. You should definitely check out Barry Lyndon. That is his uh, his big period piece epic, and it's boring and slow and amazing. Uh, I would highly recommend Barry Lyndon. Um, the Shining, where we talked about Full Metal Jacket, we talked about Eyes Wide Shut is a bit of a of a never seen it. It's tough because. As we all know, Kubrick spends up to five years in post-production on his films. That's why his films take so long to come out. He was only on his first or second run-through of cutting that film when he died. Oh, God. And then they just released it as it was. So it was still many iterations away from being a Stanley Kubrick film. So you can kind of see the seed of what he was intending in there. But And also the big controversy was that during the orgy scenes, they, they CGI'd people in front of the more graphic sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't want an X rating, so Kubrick never would allow that nope. either. No, so it's really awkward. You go in, you see like a head and some feet gyrating, and then just people standing in front of it. You're like, what the fuck? But the um, I'm pretty sure every edition you can get now is the uh, unaltered version because in England it came out. Untouched. Oh, okay, okay. And I'm pretty sure if you were to go and buy it now, you'd get the, the actual version. But it's a shame because I really enjoyed Eyes Wide Shut. It's a, it's just an exploration of sexuality and relationships and I think what it was about would have been clearer if Kubrick had more time to whittle it down to its essence right but he fucking died <laughs> and so they just pushed it out there as is and it's not great there's a conspiracy theory that he because he was like you know commentating on those Bilderberg meetings and shit that he got snuffed right if I remember oh, you correctly think, oh really he I was an old was... old man though but how old was he when he died he was uh, that was 99 Eyes Wide Shut 97 so he would have been let's take a look does he have his birth year at the top there Yes, yeah, so he was seventy-one. He was seventy-one. He was okay. he was Se- uh, getting up there. I'd be. I'm more into the conspiracy of Philip Seymour Hoffman being killed. Yes, because of his portrayal of L. Ron Hubbard esque character. But seventy-one year old smoker. I, I don't know. Fair. I don't know. I don't That's know. That's fair. And also, like in his later days, he looked a little heavy too. So I imagine oh, he yeah. had a ton of this like. But um, it's great. Those uh, nineteen ninety-seven. It came out. So I was fifteen. Those orgy scenes were. Well used. Mm. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I remember the, the fucking marketing for that cam that movie. Bad, bad, bad. You wouldn't know it was a goddamn Stanley Kubrick movie in a billion years. That fucking song went number one and yeah. shit, and it was like holy the fuck. That song opens the movie. Yeah, uh, with uh, Nicole Kidman just naked in front of a mirror. I've watched like maybe. 10 minutes oh, I remember why now because yeah Nicole Kidman that was coming off the heels of Batman Forever and what fucking oh, Batman right. fanboy didn't have a boner for Chase Meridian oh god Chase Meridian also was well utilized <laughs> in my youth but um yeah yeah no I remember when that movie came out I was like so naughty he's so short and she's, so so, she's so tall she's so tall with her little bottom <laughs> um, yeah no it's just for a 15 year old every scene in that movie is amazing because because the 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 girl that Tom Cruise she ODs and at a party and he comes up hmm. and she's just laying there naked frothing at the mouth but you know it's like it's just an actress laying there naked and she has like a perfect body so as a 15 year old you're like you're able because a 15 year old who was into film you're able to sort of disassociate and be like on set that day she was drinking her Starbucks and then just got in a position to shoot the film it's like oh Arr! do you think that breeds a fucked up fetish yeah I think probably even though I don't think I have any no no up I, mean, I was but... trying to point fingers and oh no right. but I was thinking like specifically let me put it this way when you don't get to the f- modern day fur- uh, furry 
generation without Gadget from Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Or Teddy Ruxpin for some weird reason. Eh? I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there. I just remember my little Teddy Ruxpin doll with a hole in his bottom. Oh, I thought there was like some sort of weird like Teddy fur, like, Yeah, like he's like the Marilyn Monroe of like the fucking furry community. <laughs> that would be amazing if he was. Him and Grubby. <laughs> oh, my, oh no! Leave Grubby out of it. He was my favorite. <laughs> uh, what the what the what the seed is that grows fetishes? Yeah, I think you. So someone was you know snapping it to fucking uh, eyes wide shut. Now has a foaming at the mouth fetish. I I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on record and say I don't have a blacked out Odin foamed at the mouth <laughs> fetish. But uh, I think I think it's it's the you have to take into account the difference between people who are into film and people who aren't. Because I'm so disassociated from from the stories these days. Yeah, I'm yeah. so I so see all the seams yeah. in the quilt. So every time I see like 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 um, who was it? It was uh, the girl from Pirates of the Caribbean. Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley. Uh, one of her first nude scenes was she was a corpse. On like they pulled. Oh it. yeah, yeah. I and I remember that. even seeing that and being like, "Oh, it's just the actress laying on a table. Sweet, I get to see her boobs." And it <laughs> never clicked with me. Of like, I didn't have that connection of like, "Ooh, that's a corpse." All I could think of was, "That's an actress on a table." They yelled action, and she pretended to be dead. I don't like, want to fucking double down on Swiss Army Man, but that came up a couple times because Daniel Radcliffe does not make a good corpse. He's <laughs> blinking and breathing now. And to be fair, there's a lot of sand and dirt getting thrown in his face. Him, but yeah, <laughs> oh, how much of that I wonder was. Uh, 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 like a prosthetic fake Daniel Radcliffe they made for the puking and shit I was thinking the same thing It was yeah. there was a couple of oh man we're really doubling down we're really all uh, over the place this, um, I swear to god this is a Stanley Kubrick podcast <laughs> I swear to god um Especially when he's crying and like he'd be talking and shit's flying out of his eyes. I'm like, how are they doing this? I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, it seems almost like they probably must have had some sort of a fake fake potter. What's your favorite favorite Stanley Kubrick moment? Moment? Mm. That's a good one. Um, I think the moment that crops in my head the most is that moment of the uh, primate figuring out that this bone can be mm. a weapon. And just how that opens up so many pathways, so many potential possibilities that it had never before perceived. Mm-hmm. I love that moment because that just describes the entire human experience of just that one moment that makes us suddenly see the world completely different. Yeah. And we go, oh, fuck, we don't have to live like what this we, anymore. Yeah, what we call quote-unquote reality is just, like, the summation of a massive amount of those moments. Yeah. Like, someone was like, I'm going to invite shirts. Someone was like, I'm going to invent the Jersey Shore. Someone yep. was like, I'm going to invent the automobile. Yep. And now we just have this entire world. It's like, all culminated into the this. the first seed. Yeah. And that was the first thing, yeah. The first thing that was... Because that was after they saw the uh, the obelisk. Yeah, that's so. right. That's after they touch it and yeah. everything. I love that moment, too. It's really so good. They had a um, little fun... Imagine, like, that's the first 20 minutes of that movie. Oh, yeah. In 1975, you're like, the fuck is going on? I imagine, well, because they always said, I remember always hearing that if you, there was a certain point in the movie, if you dropped acid, then one, it all sinks. It sinks in with uh, when he becomes, starts like transcending to the fifth dimension or the ending Mm -hmm. there. Um, 68, sorry, 1968. There was a controversy because um, animal rights activists were, were up his ass for. The boar? For the no, for the monkeys. They thought they were real. That's how bad. I, I, I love that concept. Like, I, obviously, we have those type of people today who just shout first, think later. Yeah. But I love the idea because now in 2018, you look at them; they're clearly guys in suits. But then I think of like the first time they aired a movie, people fainted because they thought the train was going right. to hit them. And I just love that idea. In 1968, they were so well done that people really thought they had drug monkeys out. It's one of the best compliments you can get, right? <laughs> As a filmmaker, I, that boggles my mind. I can't even 
conceptualize the idea of someone seeing a movie of a train driving towards the camera and going, "Oh fuck!" and but jumping you, out of the you way. You ain't never seen nothing like. like it, I, I can't. I can't wrap my head you around. You know what I mean? It. Like yeah. to them, that was like goddamn sorcery. But even now, like we've never seen 3D holograms when we were younger. We have now, but it didn't make us go, "Oh!" and like. Really? That's the right? example I was about to use. I saw a 3D hologram. I think it was at the Science Center. Okay. And I was like, I don't get this. This is straight out yeah. of even like I don't know. I, I don't take it for granted, man. Like. Someone's got like an the eye watch or whatever. They like watch this. They poke it three times, and the pizza delivery dude yeah, shows right. up, gives them a pizza, walks away. It's all Why? paid for. Magic. I, my head still kind of reels a bit. Like what just fucking happened? I think I guess it's, it's that human ability to just disassociate because it'll drive you mad if you don't. Fair. Maybe that's what where I'm at. Where because I grew up with Star Trek and holograms and stuff, so I'm like, ah, that's fine. But if I actually took a moment to think about it, I just start crying in the corner. Oh man, I think that you're there. bending light to create. Life. I know. That's what I think about yeah. when uh, you ever watch Silicon Valley. No, I've never gone to Silicon. Oh, this has been a lot of me saying no to shit in these podcasts. I uh, I just went through the newest season, and like every time I watch that show, it makes me feel like technologically and intellectually inferior. Right, right. Because all these guys, even like if they're just dudes like us in the tech industry. They still have better gear yeah. than I will have ever even heard of. Just chilling in their houses, yeah. and I'm like, I don't understand this world at all. But it's it's my they're my contemporaries. These yeah. guys are not but fucking an eight hour plane ride this way, and they're on the cutting edge of technology. And sometimes I have to wrestle with my microwave to get it to put the right time on. Like I an think, old man, I think I'm getting old man troglodytic, troglodyte like mm-hmm. in that I don't want Alexa. I don't want she Hal creeps me out. in my house, especially with all these reports of it like starting to laugh at people or threaten them they're like yeah. oh no no it's a glitch you're like is it is it is it a glitch because we're like right on the cusp of artificial intelligence exactly and if you're ever gonna have a, a way for something to kind of learn human behavior listening to people all the time just put like putting a device in hundreds of thousands of millions of households just listening wouldn't that be the best way like they're like the NSA is costing way too much Why cut out the middleman put a droid in just yeah. call it that they're, it's doing them a favor do you remember that AI that showed that held the mirror up to the human race in a way that was incredible because they just I, I don't remember if it was Google or what company put their AI on Twitter and it was just running a Twitter account and interacting with people and within an hour it became like a sexist racist it was monster Facebook I think Facebook was, it was Facebook? an AI algorithm and they were like yeah and they shut it down and it's like and it's, that's not the AI's fault that's the things it was people that were interacting with were just monsters and it was learning from monsters I think that's what's so interesting now, now I'm trying to go full circle with it about Kubrick in general. Is that like as horrific as his movies get, they are just holding up a mirror to society. That's what all art should be. Exactly, or else it's propaganda. And the dude does it really effectively. Whether it's like a broken family or like you know the the. the the what disconnect between him and his daughter yeah. visualized through a video screen. Exactly. Or like how yeah. desensitized. Like it's a lot of desensitization I think is a good theme in those movies yep. versus people losing their humanity. It's, like, it's almost like Faustian where you're just like what these people trade yeah, yeah. to become like these idyllic figures. Well, actually, can we use that as an end to talk about a Kubrick written produced project after he died AI artificial intelligence mm. I just recently rewatched I want to revisit that one it's um and we saw it once in theaters it's tough because like uh, again Spielberg and Kubrick are like barbecue sauce and, and pineapple like they just don't work so <laughs> but both great on their both own both great on yeah. their own and so Spielberg doing a Kubrick story 
but Cooper kept saying this is about hope and optimism you should do it and Spielberg kept saying no 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 you do it and then he died so Spielberg went well I should, I'm going to make it to he honor him he that one he, co- he I think, I, think his I always f- just assumed it was Pinocchio but told through the lens of sci-fi and so then when Kubrick died Spielberg honored him by making AI and I revisited it recently and <laughs> if you've seen it then all I have to say is silly man of course I'm not sure that's all you need to be laughing right now. My favorite part is still that bear with that deep-ass voice. It's Mummy. Mummy. It's one of mummy. the funniest, because you know they, they could have gone with any voice yeah. actor. I love it. No. Yeah. I will break. It's one no, of the... No, I love when he's... Yeah, when, he's about, when David's about to take the mouth full of spinach, and he just, Teddy grabs his arm and goes, you will break. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus. Just the gravitas it's, to a teddy bear. There's a lot of moments like that it's stuck. Again, I've only seen that movie once in theaters, but there's still moments that stick with me really, like... Whenever uh, Jude Law gets sucked up by the, he gives up his life to save him, and he gets save sucked him, up yeah. by the magnet. I'm like that. I remember it being in the theater as a kid. This movie came out what 2001. I would have been fucking 14. And emotionally, as yeah. a 14 year old, being like, oh my god, that was profound and sad. Like yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's it's Spielberg. I don't know if it really. I don't think it really works. It's too much of a patchwork Frankenstein of Kubrick and Spielberg. Yeah, and it doesn't really work. But it kind of falls apart on the whole journey bit. And it's when you get to the aliens, the future people at the end, the robots. Like, that's always been an, a point of argument nanobots. for people. That the things that find David at the end, everyone's like aliens. And like no, they they literally introduce David through a door opening being backlit and he has the shape of the things that they're robots they're supposed to be like Terminator happened and they're the, they're the I descendants I always thought they were like, it was like what do you call it millions of years in the future and that was humanity had evolved into like a silicon based life no, form was, I, I believe and again if anyone wants to comment on this and correct me because it's going to take 10 minutes 20 minutes of googling to find it you literally just scroll down the page and see it right here I believe that it was intended to be robots that robots had taken right. over the world uh, I, oh, we're actually both right. The Mecha have evolved into an advanced, intelligent, silicon-based life form. So they, it was the robots, but they'd become human. Mm. Which I'm pretty sure, to go on the themes of Kubrick, I'm more every day I'm more and more convinced that humanity is the uh, caterpillar to the uh, butterfly of artificial intelligence. I agree. Because as soon as you have our cognitive abilities without our need for air, water, or food, or then you have... Or stupid, petty bullshit, like racism, Then or you have gender, the perfect uh, organism. Yeah. I agree. Oh, I agree. I think we're, our purpose is to breed the first aliens and then die. And then like, go off. We're the, we're the, the caterpillar. That's why our, our mythology is so based in looking at the stars. We have an obsession with going upwards and fucking discovering and technological advances. Yep. I think we're the primordial suit for the first aliens. It's, I think we all need to take a step back and realize we're the Neanderthals, uh-huh. except these things ain't going to interbreed with us. These homo sapiens ain't gonna fuck us. They're just gonna go off and be perfect organisms. I can just imagine them being like, you know what? It's not even worth killing you. We're just gonna leave you here. Bye. Bye. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as you have a spacefaring, non-biological self-awareness, then yeah. our 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 purpose for existence is over. Yeah. And a very good Kubrick theme. It's also kind of creepy because that means. I guess you'd have to teach it, like, I'm going on Westworld, you'd have to teach it some sort of frame of reference of, like, learned behavior and memory. Hopefully it wouldn't be human-shaped. I'd like to think it would be something beyond our ability to rationalize how it would shape itself. 
Like, a, like a T-1000, like gelatinous organism? Maybe. Or like, like robots? I imagine as soon as, like, I imagine if an awareness is going to happen, it's going to be, even though there's a great line in Deus Ex, or Ex Machina, the movie, mm, where it's yeah. like, why do two boxes have a reason to communicate? The only reason we fucking communicate is because we want to, like, fight or fuck. Right. So what are two, what, like, originally, when we were still swinging in the trees. Right. Not so right, right now. Not right now. <laughs> you you know, don't want to fight or fuck me right now, Carson? What the be, fuck are we doing here? There could be an argument made that most people <laughs> on the planet right now are just interested in eating, fighting, and fucking... <laughs> <laughs> but um, what what reason to two? They're usually boxes. found in medieval times, and they're usually voting for Trump. Oh, you want suck it? Man. Yeah, anyone listening to us who's a Trump and or Doug Ford supporter, fuck off. We don't want your patronage. I'm saying it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot about Ford. Yeah, we we caught America's AIDS. Mm-hmm. Who fucked America? <laughs> Why did we catch its AIDS? Anyways, um, so that was the whole ex machina thing is that they have to have human form or else why would they have any reason to communicate if not for like flirting, fucking, fighting, or eating? Uh, I agree with that to a degree, but I also think that if any AI were to be born right now, it would be in some massive room sized computer because the amount of computation power needed for that, right? It would for be like advanced a, AI? For for uh, the ability to actually be self-aware. Hmm. I don't think you could do it on a laptop. I could, think they already have a couple of those, you, you, like, they're creepy and not very functional, but like those human-looking... They're Sex bots, yeah. Well, I mean, let's be fair, we all know that's exactly what's going on behind oh, yeah. the scenes, but like, you know, you can ask them questions, and they're not 100% No, they're there, a little twitchy. But like, the computing power for that, they seem to just use like a little tower and plug it in the back of her head or whatever. But no. it's like Siri, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know how Siri isn't on your phone? Siri is a centralized, gotcha, uh, like massive Chiefs. computer. Yeah, mm. it's it, any t- Siri is just an antenna for Siri, and the actual computer that holds Siri's intelligence is like the size of a warehouse. Which reminds me, I recently just looked up the. You ever seen one Apple yada yada the the their factory where they build apples now? Oh, is it is it dystopic? If you've never no, it's kind of kind of well, it's 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 impressive and chilling at the same time so um basically it's this massive ring bigger than the fucking pentagon and apple's kind of installed like all these different like there's a they have a pond and a park in the middle because you know them they're trying to be all green friendly and everything and also the southern california area is uh in a drought right now so they built like this huge thing yeah it's called apple park it's the headquarters and it's kind of, oh, wow. it's pretty badass. It looks like the ship from Infinity War. They call it the the spaceship is the nickname of the building. I hope it just takes off one day. Like when, when the nukes start going off and the chemical factories you know start spewing. Saying? Like it's just like the end of fucking Ultron, like jets just come out of the bottom. <laughs> yeah. but it looks like, like the Large Hadron Collider. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, so Ceres taking up like a chunk of that thing is what you're telling me? It's pretty huge. Because um, yeah, because if you turn off your... Uh, uh, your, yeah. If you turn off Siri's ability, yeah, turn off the Wi-Fi and Siri's ability to use your data. Siri's dumb as shit. It's when you're hooked up. Siri computer mainframe, maybe. Computer main? No, not the. Com- don't give me a goddamn laptop, you <laughs> piece of shit. You getting punny? Uh, uh, you're not gonna really find stuff, no. but it's 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 basically a room of a room of those. That's room with. It's basically what computers were back in the '60s to. Well, I imagine because the terabytes of information you're receiving, you need like... What's the one above terabyte? It's Zetabyte, I believe? Yeah. It's like almost countless Zetabytes. Like, I can't even think of it, especially like an Instagram, because that thing saves 
fucking everything. everything. Millions of users uploading dozens of pictures yeah. and videos daily. I can't imagine what their servers are like. It's, it's just warehouses of humming hot machines. And fucking employees. So cool. The poor employees who are down there who never see the light of day. <laughs> just, yeah, it's just being irradiated. Uh, constantly irradiated. Like working at the CN Tower in front of the uh, in front of the security part. Enjoy that next time you're on your fucking social media, people. Appreciate the unsung heroes who are keeping that fucking machine running. But uh, speaking of unsung heroes, that's not a segue. <laughs> I got nothing. Speaking of sung heroes, um, Stanley Kubrick is great. God damn it. You know, my, I'm trying to think what my favorite moment is. I think it's the Phoebe Magpie montage from Clockwork. Okay. It starts with a slow motion fight because it goes so quickly from like that first of all that fucking face that Malcolm McDowell makes when he slits Dim's hand that big when they're walking yeah, yeah yeah so funny that smash cut to them in the bar is fucking hilarious of them just all kind of bite it welly welly well then yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all good yeah. yeah and then cut to the scene with the yoga lady and the cats and he, who he murders with a giant cock that whole fucking montage is just Kubrick being like look at the range of shit I can do horror something horrific while doing something funny, all set to an amazing soundtrack yep. with great performances. And like, it has a meaning, it has a point. Yep. It's not promoting, like, assault, violence, or rape. It's exploring it. Yep. Exploring the reasons it's, for it. It's a pivotal moment in that movie. It goes from Alex's, like, height of power. And I love the hubris of it. Of just, like, he goes from this height of power of, like, I'm going to fucking show these guys who's boss. To them fucking betraying him in one of the greatest yeah, iconic yeah, yeah. shots in the movie is a glass of milk yeah. smashing over his face in the combination of the blood and the milk on yeah, yeah. the I, milk plus fucking great like yeah. that's one of my favorite mo- moments I think of that's cinema that's good that's a good one yeah Kubrick um, Kubrick is not I imagine Kubrick will not be uh, seen as much going forward because we're ever more marching towards uh, we don't want to be confronted with negative things world you know, I don't want to use the classic like because I'm right wing asshole bullshit of like safe spaces because mm. that's just the buzzwords used to make fun of people and by monsters. But it's it there's a grain of truth in it that we are ever marching towards a world where if I don't agree or like that thing, I don't want anyone near me. Uh, I don't want to think about it. Uh, I don't. I just want to be in my own head. And Kubrick will not really be conducive to that generation. I mean, like, get... He forces you to explore horrible things. Exactly, and I think the closest we get to it now is that anytime something horrible is shown, it has to be deeply grounded in, like, this very cartoony, like, George W. Bush evildoer kind of thing. Right, right. Like, we don't... Even, like, uh, uh, what was what's the movie I just watched? Uh, you Were Never Here. Mm. It's kind of genius. You never really see a glimpse of violence in it. Like, there's a great just scene. Implied. Yeah, there's a great scene where Walking Phoenix is going in to save this girl, and it's all told through the security camera footage. So you'll see, like, his feet coming down a hallway, cut to, like, one of the guards, you know, sitting in a chair, and he looks up like he hears a noise. We cut upstairs to the girls. Right. Cut back downstairs. His feet are going up the stairs, and the guards' feet are just on the just ground. Just on the ground. So, like, even then, it's kind of like we can't... You don't really see Travis Bickles anymore. You don't right. really see people. Because people don't want to be confronted with, no. with hard things. We, we were kind of like, we've been on so high on superheroes for a while, we don't like our heroes to get their hands really dirty anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, there was a great example that I think, unless we have more to say, I'm going to go out on this, hmm. is um, there was a video recently posted by, I don't remember the name of the channel, but there's a popular YouTube channel that kind of deconstructs and explores cinema from the past, and they did Schindler's List, and they opened it by like... <sighs> Like a minute of, of like, 
I understand this is hard. I understand it doesn't fit into certain like safe space mentalities. I know you're just going to turn this off. Please take the time to watch this. It's important. And that really bummed me out that you need to preface a movie that should be watched by fucking everyone because you're not going to stop a Holocaust from happening unless you've in some way experienced the mm-hmm. horror of that in cinema is a great way to live to, vicariously, to live vicariously mm-hmm. and go oh fuck let's make like I'm going to die before I let this happen again mm-hmm. that's not going to happen if you don't expose yourself to it mm-hmm. and it made me so sad that they had to preface this video with like a minute and a half of of please watch I know it's hard I know it's tough and it's like no just don't just don't hold their hand just fucking force people to well, see this also shit also what I hate the fact is like it's our history guys and it's our Like, you remember the first time, I remember the first time, like, when you said, you know, it's a good way to live vicariously, I saw Life is Beautiful. Okay. And you watch that flick, and it lands home. You can, like, you can identify with any one of those fucking characters in that movie very easily. Like, whether it's the mother who's losing her family, or the father who's, like, forced to, like, I I have to, I'm the only thing this kid has in terms of hope right now. Trying to hold it down. That fucking movie is, it stays with you. Like and you need yeah, and that's that. important. You need to have that emotion of like, no, no, no. This happened. Yeah. This is real things. These are people that actually lies. That's Roberto Bellini. Uh, uh, Roberto Bellini. Fucking pre-Oscar rampage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, telling and Pinocchio, telling <laughs> a compelling story. There, there are real people in the dirt because of these atrocities. Yeah. And if you don't acknowledge that, like you're gonna, you're, you don't let yourself feel that. Yeah. Then you're gonna. Then the way you're gonna end up feeling it is when it happens to you for real. Exactly. How can you have like any so like sense of you know responsibility as a person on this planet if you don't have any empathy for the people who suffered atrocities? And you don't have the empathy for the people who suffered atrocities because you've shut yourself off from experiencing anything negative. And you know the easiest people to control. Are those people? Yeah, smart enough to run the machines, but dumb enough to not question it. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's it's sad that there's. I mean, there's a lot of people in said the world. Said the two starving artists. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, I would rather be a starving artist no, than uh, than Bob Parr in the first Incredibles movie at his fucking insurance sure care. Job. <laughs> that would be. I mean, like, I always think of it that of we have this blink of time and then we're dead. Maybe something happens after. Probably not. It's all we got. Why would I waste a single fucking second living someone else's dream or yeah. contributing to someone else's dream? I agree. I'll never be the guy sitting in an office. I would rather die as a hobo than live be the guy sitting in an office selling insurance. All I can think of is Diedrich Bader from Office Space. It's fucking A right, man. <laughs> yeah. Fucking right? A. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good note to go out on. You want to extra us? Yeah, man. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, uh, tune in next week. What we got coming up? Anything else? Well, we're going to do Sicario eventually, but we've also yeah. been saying we were going to do Barry for about a month now. I think so. we've got to put a, we've got to stop telling people that's going to happen. we got to stop telling people what we're going to do. I just I don't have anything really to say. I love the performance. Let's do it right now. Let's do 60-second Barry. Yeah. Seriously, I love the performances. I think the cast was insanely well done. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of a parable of someone who's been told what to do their whole life finally having an opportunity to express themselves. Uh, the exploration of PTSD. Yep. And the idea of, like, that one line nails it down the head, like, your male masculine toxic bullshit. Like, yep. in a cli- the way the climate is in Hollywood right now, you need someone to personify, like you said, get your hands dirty a little bit, personify right. that character and show his flaws and his fucking weaknesses and be like... And his positives, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Barry has the exact same 
um, I had the exact same response to it as I did uh, uh, Swiss Army Man in that the last scene kind of <laughs> fucked up the series for me because as you were saying it's all about toxic masculinity it's all about showing that these this the, the his love interest isn't just some two dimensional love interest she's a real person mm-hmm. and then the movie ends with her acting like she acted in his fantasies like a year later and then they dexter it up by having him kill the cop that was pursuing him just to set up season two yeah which would have felt more in place as the first scene of season two and that yeah. whole that whole ending just all of a sudden is when they're talk, um they're at the bar if you haven't seen Barry none of this is going to make any fucking sense so watch Barry um the final episode ends with them with the Barry and the girl at the bar she's asking if he'd like to be uh, her partner in yeah. a stage show and it kind of does this slow pullback fades to black and then there's another 10 minutes a year later where they're off totally, at like a cottage totally different too. she's acting like just a two dimensional batty eyed bimbo a girlfriend he's like I'm all into the theater now and he's acting weird and then the cop figures out it's him and he kills her and then cut to credits I'm wondering complete setup for season two I mean I'm wondering if like maybe part way through production they got like I don't know how does it do it do they just make them all at once at HBO they don't they don't it depends. they're not writing it as like I know in like old like the X-Files they'd be writing the end of the season as the as first the couple show were I think it depends on the series because I know Game of Thrones shoots all at once so I'm assuming Barry would shoot they, all at right? once like, have, the whole thing's like three hours right right yeah. so I imagine for that like maybe at the last minute they're like clip on this scene because we, we know we're doing season we're two do, we know we're doing season two but like I think the re- it's really gonna resonate whenever the- it's an interesting I'm not disagreeing with you at all mm. I also felt that was really very tacked on it was and odd. it didn't match the tone of the rest of the scene none of the characters were acting like the character except yeah. for Fonzie who was just who was just well, adorable because Henry Winkler's just Henry's adorable just, yeah. <laughs> he's a wonderful man yeah um, but at the very tail end of it um, it. I'm wondering if they just have a if they have a good jumping off point in season two. Like, if there's a compelling reason. Well, I imagine now because like the investigation, like of who murdered that cop at a cottage where there's only three right. people, four people, and then say. the one guy who was a suspect in their last investigation. Yeah. that was my another problem I had with it was because you're going to have to portray law enforcement as fucking morons in mm. season two if they don't figure out immediately exactly. that it was Barry that did it. Exactly. So, I don't know. It's kind of weird. We'll see how season two goes, but... Um, there you go. We did it. We did it. We did Barry. <laughs> and it's, and if you haven't seen Barry, uh, you've already listened to this and spoiled the ending for you, but essentially, it's just about a hitman who goes to Los Angeles wants to be an actor. That's it. And then the Russian mob wants to fucking... You're double, forgetting the most important detail. Double cross him. Played by the, one of the most delightful human beings on Bill the Hader. Bill... Bill uh, Lop-faced hater. Yeah, I fucking love Bill Hader. Yeah, he's great. The whole cast. Bill, I forget. Oh, I forget the name. I want to get her name right because she was great too. But Bill Hader's great. Um, Henry Winkler again, just doing his hair. But actually, not really doing because I when I think of him. I think of uh, what's his face, uh, Rest of Development. Yes, take to the sea. Exactly. Yeah. But like in this one, he's not goofy. He's very no. ground. Like the closest to goofy he gets is when he's talking to the cop and he's kind of like, Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. But otherwise, he's like a Yoda. He's an, he's an acting yeah, teacher. He's really good in that show. He's doing the thing that people are having their careers destroyed over now. He's he's yelling and demeaning people's in the, to their face in order to get a better a performance out of them. Kubricky. Exactly. Right. That's. I think acting is going to suffer in this climate because it if you might. don't break people's egos down, make them feel like trash and then build them back up again you're not going to get a performance that's out right. of them um, Sarah Goldberg I liked her I also liked what's her name she also she played the cop what was her name uh, she was from I believe unless I'm just racist I'm pretty sure she's the girl from Star Trek Deep Space Nine Benjamin Sisko's girlfriend or she's like her fucking twin but then it's also been 20 years since Deep Space Nine so she may have I don't know what she looks like now she's um the doctor in Orville was that the same actress or was it two I never watched Orville just 50 year old black women who look identical 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure. Jesus. I'm pretty sure that that it's the same character. It might not be though. And in my defense, I confuse everybody. I'm horrible with facial. My facial recognition software is, is way out is of whack. Way out of whack. But I'm pretty. Maybe, maybe not. But if you look up the uh, the girl from uh, um, Barry, or I'm sorry, fuck, we're talking about Barry from uh, the Orville. You're going to see they look exactly the same. Do it for yourself. Yeah, Do it at home. Check it out. It's not her, sir. You're on your own here. It's not her? <laughs> it's not her. Ah, shit. Ah, uh, you're out of your own. Well, I've been outed. And also, I just have to say, Steven Root. I love Steven Root. Oh, yeah. Steven he's Root's such like, a slime bag. He's like in my top five favorite human beings of uh, actors, I think, of all time, just because of his range. Yeah. The man, if you look at that dude's filmography, it's insane. He basically played the same role he did in True Blood, a guy tied to a chair. <laughs> so funny, dude. And just the way he can swing it around from, like, he has that ability to really bring a scene down to a halt and just make it all about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a diehard news radio fan. Yeah. And the number of times Mr. James steals the scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just by coming in with, like, a big, positive version of Donald Trump, but just a big idiot. Like, yeah, this yeah, yeah. idiot man-boy billionaire playboy who's just like, I love shit! Let's make some stuff happen! And the, the Russians were adorable. Oh, No-Ho Hank? Yeah. No-Ho Hank is yeah. one of the most unique hitman characters. When he keeps sending those little gifts yeah, yeah. of, like, so-and-so wants to see you, and it's like an uh-oh gift uh-oh. of himself. Yeah. It's so adorable. <laughs> I love that guy. All right, I think that's it. Let's wind her down. This is our second extra. You did the last one, so you already heard it. Thanks for listening, guys. Check us out on the website, and we'll see you next week with something. Something or other.